Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I started a message last week, a two-part message that I titled Faith and Expectation. Faith and Expectation. And uh, I started it last Sunday and got really going on it and um, wanted to conclude that message today. And the, the real purpose for it is for us to get our expectation and our hopes stirred up for this coming conference that we have coming uh, this week. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of people that say, oh, well, don't get your hopes up. How many of you have heard that kind of thing before? Oh, well, just don't get your hopes up. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm here to get your hopes up, okay? I'm here to get, you, get your hope and your expectation stirred up for what God wants to do in your life because I do believe that the Lord is good, and I do believe that he wants to take care of you. I do believe that he wants to meet you right where you're at, and I believe that if we expect him to show up, he'll show up. I believe that if we expect him to speak, he'll speak. Amen? Because that's the pattern that he gave us in the word. That's what he spoke to our hearts about uh, from his word. And so we obey and we expect and God always holds up his end of the bargain. Amen? Because he's just a good God. So I've got, um, I've got like 48 pages of notes. I think we'll be here for several hours today. So go ahead and buckle in. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Did you feel everybody get tense there for a second? Uh, no, we, um, I just ask you for your attention this morning. I, do, I don't have 48 pages of notes, um, but I do have something good to say. I've been praying over and meditating in this word all week long, and God has really uh, stirred me up. So if you would go to Hebrews chapter 11, we're talking, continuing to talk about faith and expectation, faith and expectation. Hallelujah. And I ask that you would just believe with me this morning um, for everything to come out the way that it's supposed to. Amen. Would you do that for, for me? Just, just believe with me today that God will get to say everything that he wants to say. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Actually, we'll only read verse 1 of this chapter. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's look at that in the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation puts that really beautifully. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. So uh, most of the time when I've preached this verse, I've preached the faith part of this verse. But today, you know, last week and again today, I want you to focus on the word hope. The word hope, as I just review, the word hope means in the Greek language an expectation. So we use the word hope in our, in our modern day vernacular, in our modern day English language. We use hope very much like, like we use the word wish. We kind of use them the same way. I hope that my team wins the big game. You know, really what you're saying is I wish. 
right? But the word hope in the New Testament and really throughout the Old Testament as well, the word hope doesn't mean a wish. It means an expectation. So when I say that I'm hoping in God, I'm saying that I'm expecting God to be the God that he said that he would be. You see? And so let me do just a moment of review, and then we'll get into what we need to talk about today. Uh, We said last week that first comes faith. Faith is our belief. It's what I believe about God. First comes faith, then comes expectation or hope, and then comes experience. First comes faith, then comes expectation, then comes experience. First, I believe something about God. I, I see in his word, or I, I hear a testimony, or uh, you know, I have some kind of encounter or interaction with him, and that stirs up faith inside of my heart. So my faith is what I believe about him. And first comes faith, then comes expectation. If I read in the Bible that, that, the, that God is a healer, then I learn something about him, and I now believe something about him, and now I start to expect that he's going to heal me because he said that he would because he's a healer. You see what I'm saying? Then comes the expectation. First comes faith, then comes expectation, then comes experience. Okay? Now, we said that faith is what we believe, and what we believe about something is what frames our expectation about it. What I expect always points to what I believe. What I expect always points to what I really believe. If you didn't expect that the chairs would hold you up, you wouldn't sit in them. Right? If you, if you went to plop down and you were expecting the chair to fall... What would you do? Well, you'd probably tense up. You'd probably change the way you sat down. You would probably modify and make adjustments based on your expectation, which is based on what you believe. Our expectation gives God permission to move in our life. Now, this sounds almost sacrilegious to say, but it's really not. Our expectation is what gives God permission to move in our lives. Our miraculous experiences follow our faith-filled expectation. Now, we looked at a couple examples. I don't have time to talk about this today. If you missed it, go check it out on the podcast. It's awesome. I listened to it again this week. I got all fired up. I don't normally listen to my messages, but this week I wanted to go back and hear it. We talked about the woman with the issue of blood. From the book of Mark. Do y'all remember that? Remember the statement that we made about her? Jesus looked at her and said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Her faith made her well, but her expectation made her move. Amen? It was her faith that made her well, but it was her expectation that got her up out of bed and caused her to push through the crowd. Amen? Now, we said that expectation and hope is the bridge between faith and action. Now, today I want to show you an amazing example from the Scripture about the power of hope and expectation at work, okay? It's one thing to just talk about these things and sort of wax poetic about them. It's another thing to practically see them demonstrated, right? Wouldn't you rather see the demonstration and the practical application? I would. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 4. I am so excited. Oh, my gosh. I'm so pumped. 2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to talk about Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and I'm going to read down through verse 7. This is the story of Elisha and the widow's oil. 
What a good one. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, and it reads, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Have you ever faced an impossible situation before? This lady's in an impossible situation. Verse 2, So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour it into all those vessels, and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel and the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Wow, what an amazing, amazing story. Does anybody else find this story absolutely amazing? Here this woman is in dire straits. She's in a terrible situation, and she encounters this man of God, and he gives her some very specific instructions. Now, I, wanna, I want us to go down through each verse of this passage. And, and what we're going to come away with is we're going to come away with this beautiful example of faith and expectation at work. And you'll see exactly what I mean as we go along. Verse 1, again, says, A certain woman of the wives of the, of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know... That your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slave. This woman and her family feared the Lord, but now they've experienced great loss. How many of you have discovered in your life that the enemy is always trying to take a bad situation and make it worse? Yeah? The devil's always trying to take a bad situation and make it worse. You know, Jesus said of the, of the enemy that he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. John chapter 10 and verse 10, you don't have to look at it now, but maybe write it down and go look at it later. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So God is always the one trying to make things better in your life, and the devil's the one that's always trying to make things worse in your life. Say this with me. Say, God good devil bad. Okay, you, you get it? God good, devil bad. Sometimes we need to recalibrate ourselves and remember that it's God who's good and it's the devil who's a butthead. Amen. It's God who's good and it's the enemy who's bad that's working in your life and my life to try to stop the plan of God. You know, it's, it's very important that we make that, uh, that, we, that we understand that. Because religion would try to teach us and the experiences of life would try to teach us that, you know, yeah, God's good, but sometimes he wants to beat you up. 
yeah, God's good, but sometimes he's, you know, not too happy with you, so he's going to thump you on the back of the head. No, that's not the character of God. He's a loving father. Amen. God is good, and the devil is bad. There was a song uh, when, when Sean and I were in high school. There was a song, and I'm trying to remember the name of the band now, but he, it said all the time, you are the devil, and the devil is bad. You are the devil, and the devil is bad. I remember that song. Isn't that funny? The devil is a butthead, and he hates your guts. And he's always going to do like what he tried to do in this woman's situation, take a bad situation and make it worse. Her husband died, and now the creditors are coming to take her sons too. So she's already lost her husband, and now she's going to lose her sons. Anybody ever faced an impossible situation before? How many of you know God loves impossible situations because it's those situations where he gets to really show off? Amen. He didn't create the situation, but he sure is going to step in and fix it. Come on, say amen to me. Amen. Now, the enemy is always coming to take from them, or excuse me, the enemy is coming to take away from them. Notice the enemy always steals, kills, and destroys. When something bad is happening, understand who's behind it. Paul teaches us that our battle is not with flesh and blood. Sometimes things may be going wrong in your life and the thing you want to do is lurch out against the person who you think is causing you the problem. Realize that it's the enemy at work in somebody's life. Our battle's not with flesh and blood. Somebody may have ticked you off, but you know what? The devil was behind it. The enemy was working that situation. Don't get mad at the person. Take authority over the devil. Amen. Glory to God. Now, so you see this impossible challenging situation that this lady's in. Let's look at verse 2. So Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Before we dive into and pick apart this scripture, I want to make one more comment about verse 1. It's interesting to me that, that she goes and finds Elisha. She goes and finds Elisha. She did not sit in her house like a victim and say, nobody loves me, nobody's coming to, where are, the, where are all the men of God coming to visit my house and find me in, my midst of, you know, in the midst of my problem? If you're facing a problem, find somebody. Go to church. Yeah, hello? Go to church because that's where the answers are. Find somebody who can believe with you and get in faith with you. Don't be an island. Don't, don't sit back in your house and just get all frustrated because nobody's coming to see you in the midst of your need. She got up and went and found Elisha. Amen. That's, that's, a, that's a good, that's, that's good. Amen. So now, let's look, <laughs> let's look at verse 2. What shall I do for you, Elisha says. Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing but a jar of oil. Now, Elisha here is speaking on behalf of God. Remember that he is God's prophet. He's speaking on behalf of God. And look at the statements. Look at the questions that he asks in this verse. They're amazing. He says, what shall I do for you? Speaking on behalf of God, remember. What shall I do for you? Notice, he didn't say, what can I do for you? Did you get it? He didn't say, what can I do for you? He says, what shall I do for you? Let me tell you something. God's not asking you this morning, what can I do for you? He doesn't need you to remind him of his capabilities. 
He's asking you today, what shall I do for you? Or in other words, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, man, this is so good. This is so much bigger than you're letting on. He said, what, he didn't say, what can I do for you? God's not asking for you to define for him what he can do in your life. Rather, he's asking you, what is it that you're willing to expect of me? What is it that you want me to do for you? What shall I do for you? Don't be afraid to get specific with God about what you need. I remember hearing the story of Dr. Dr. Cho. Anybody ever heard of Dr. Cho? You know who he is in uh, Korea? Um, David Yonggi Cho is his name. He's got the largest church in the world. Little place over there. Got uh, 750,000 people in their church. Three quarters of a million people go to this one church. Biggest church in the world. How many of you think the pastor of that church knows something? Right? Probably, probably learned something along the way. Their big thing is on prayer. That's what they major on. It's a good thing to major on. And Dr. Cho said, he's told the story many times of how he needed some transportation. And so he wanted a bike. And so he prayed and asked the Lord, I want a bike. And he was so close with the Lord, he had such a good relationship in prayer that God spoke back to him. And the Lord looked at him and said, don't just ask me for a bike, what kind of bike you want? Tell me the bike you want. That's what he did. The Lord told him, said, tell me the bike you want. How many of you have kids in here? Anybody got kids? How many when your kids come and ask you something, sometimes you wish they'd be a little more specific? You know, if I'm in the house and I just, you know, hear my kids from some other room, Daddy, can you help me? What do I want to help you with what? I can see I have to determine, God doesn't do this, but I have to determine whether or not helping them is going to be a productive use of my time or if it's just that they, you know, want me to pull their sock off for them or something weird like that. Daddy, can you help me? No. God said to Dr. Cho, what, do, what kind of bike do you want? So he told him exactly the kind of bike he wants. He said, I want it to be this color, and I want it to have a bell and a basket on the front of it. Now, I don't care what you think about that. That's what this guy wanted. He said, I want a bell and I want a basket. And I'm pretty sure he said he wanted it to be red. And within a week, somebody had given him not one, but two red bikes with a bell and a basket. He got exactly what he asked for because that's the nature of the God that we serve. He's not just saying, help me. He's saying, Lord, here's what I need. Elisha didn't say to this woman, how can I be of service to you? He said, what do you want me to do? What shall I do for you? Be specific with God. He's not offended by it. He's not afraid of it. He actually likes it when you get specific. Amen. Now, notice what he says next. First he says, what do you want me to do? What shall I do for you? Then he says, he asks another question. What have you got in your house? What have you got in the house? This is amazing to me because no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter what you're facing, you've got something in your house that God can use to, to work a miracle. You're never without everything, right? This lady looks through her house and she says, I haven't got much. All I've got, i got this bare house and a single jar of oil. It's all that I have. 
Even if you feel like you've got nothing else left, you still have something. You may not have much, but that's okay. He doesn't need much to work with. Come on, say amen. You may not have much, but that's all right. He doesn't need much to work with. Moses had a stick. That's it. Do you remember when God saw Moses in the burning bush? He said, he said what, what's in your hand, Moses? I love when God asks rhetorical questions that he knows the answer to. Moses, what's in your hand? Did you ever notice that God, let me, let me tell you something. This is something I've learned. God, when he asks you a question, he's not looking for an answer. He wants you to be aware of the question. When God asks you a question, he's not needing a response from you because he doesn't know the answer. He's trying to get you to refocus on what you have in your hand. Moses has a stick. What does he do with that stick? God single-handedly, through Moses, delivers three million people out of four centuries worth of slavery with a stick. That's it. You go follow it. Go follow it through the book of Exodus. It's amazing. God says, Moses, take the stick that I put in your hand and go free, free my people. And every time Moses got into a corner where he needed God to show up big, the stick started doing stuff. I'm telling you. He said, throw your stick on the ground. He threw it on the ground, turned into a snake. He said, okay, pick it back up. He picked it back up, turned back into a stick. And he says, okay, do it again. He put it through back on the ground. And then when he got in front of Pharaoh's guys, they said that we can do that with our stick too. So they threw their sticks on the ground and they became multiple snakes. And Moses said, that ain't no big deal. Let me show you what God can do. And he throws his stick on the ground and his stick turns into a snake and eats the other snake's sticks. And then he picks it back up and it becomes a stick again. Right? Listen, when it was time to part the Red Sea, what did God say to Moses? Take the staff in your hand and hold it up in front of the Red Sea. And as soon as he did, the, the water started to part. God can do anything with anything. He's not asking for much. He doesn't need much. If all you got's a jar of oil, if all you got's a stick, if all you got's a sling, David, you could take down a 10-foot giant with it. Because if God before you, who can be against you? Who? You don't need to have a lot. Just use what you got and let God get involved in what you do have. Whew. Preach myself into a happy place this morning. So he says, what shall I do for you? What do you have in the house? She tells him, I've got this jar of oil. Now, verse 3 he says, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels do not gather just a few. Elisha tells her exactly what to do. I think this is so amazing because this, again, speaks of the hand of God. God will tell you exactly what to do in your life. When he gets ready to do a miracle in your life, he's going to tell you exactly how to handle it. He's going to tell you exactly how to steward what he's given you. So he makes three amazing statements here. Are you ready for this? This, is good. this messed me up when I was reading it in a good way. Elijah tells her exactly what to do. Firstly, he says, go outside. Go outside. Sometimes you have to go outside of the place that you're comfortable with in order to meet up with God. Sometimes you got to go outside of the place you're comfortable with in order to meet God. 
The thing that God wants to do, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The thing that God wants to do in our lives always happens just beyond the boundaries of our comfort. If she'd have stayed in the house, she wouldn't have gotten a miracle. He says, get out of this house. Go out. Go out and borrow some vessels. The thing that God wants to do in your life is outside of your and my comfort zone. This is why the devil works so hard to keep you comfortable with the status quo. This is why, check this out, this is why society teaches you how to cope with your life while God teaches you how to be an overcomer in your life. Can you say amen? The, the world, the society, the people around us, the talking heads on the news, everybody that we, you know, things that we read, the things we're exposed to, their goal in life is to teach you how to cope with your situation. God's not interested in you coping with your problems. He wants to teach you how to overcome every one of them and live in total and complete victory. God did not tell David, here's how you manage Goliath. Hello, are you awake? God didn't tell David, here's how you manage Goliath. He said, take a stone and kill that dude. And then take his sword and cut his own head off with it. God did not teach David and the children of Israel how to cope with it. Amen. He didn't, tell, he didn't teach Moses. All right, Moses, now what I want you to do is go down to Egypt and counsel everybody. Okay, we got to get this nation to turn their attitude around. They're bummed out. Let's teach them how to cope with their slavery. No, God said, Moses, take this anointed stick and go get all three million of those people out of the land of Egypt. Amen. Go outside and overcome. Now, the next thing he says is, borrow vessels from your neighbors. This is amazing. Borrow vessels from all of your neighbors. When you get into a tough situation, get around some people that are willing to get with you in a challenging situation. Get around some people that are willing to get close to you in tough times. Don't just simply rely on you and yourself. Me, myself, and I. I'm going to stand here in the kitchen until God does something. No, he said, go out and find some people and get some jars. Sometimes we need to look to the community that's around us for some help. Sometimes, let me tell you what, you can't fight every battle by yourself. Amen? You're not supposed to, you're not designed to. We're better off together. Amen? When the, when the football team takes the field, not, it's not just one dude that goes out there. It's everybody. We all need each other. You need me, I need you. Amen? Praise God. So he says, go outside and then go borrow some vessels from your neighbor. Now look at the criteria for the vessels. Are you ready? He says, empty vessels. Empty vessels. Sometimes you need to come to God empty. 
Y'all are not talking to me in here this morning. I'm going to make sure you're getting this. Sometimes you need to come to God empty. Sometimes you need to clear the cobwebs of everything else in your life. You need to get rid of everybody else's opinions. You need to get rid of all that comparison. You need to stop relying on the thing that you bring to the equation. No, Lord, I'm here and I'm ready for you to use me. My jar is completely empty so that you can fill it. I cleaned out all the crusty stuff and got it out of the way. Here's a bunch of empty jars for you to fill. When God does a miracle in your life, he's not relying on a bunch of other stuff. Not relying on your reputation, your talent, your ability. He doesn't, all that stuff is irrelevant when it comes to be face to face with God. Amen. So he says, go, get out of your house. Go borrow vessels from everywhere. All your neighbors, get around some people that are willing to help you and let you borrow what they got. And make sure that they're empty vessels. Make sure that it's not filled with a bunch of other stuff. And then the last thing he says is, don't gather just a few. Now here's, this is the big part. Okay, this is the big hurrah moment. He says, do not gather just a few. In this moment, she's got a decision to make about how many jars she gathers. This is her place of expectation. How many jars she comes back with is what determined how abundant God's blessing would be. I want you to see very clearly that she had her, she had a direct responsibility. She had a direct impact on how abundant God would be in this situation. Don't just get two jars. Don't just gather a few. My wife would be up here to tell you that a few is three or more. We've had many, many discussions about the difference between a couple and a few. In my house. I just need a couple minutes. I just need a few. How many are there? How many, you know, how many bags of groceries are there? There's, there's a few. Apparently there's a difference between a couple and a few. A, few is, a couple is two. A few is three or more. So he says to her, Brianne will be able to tell you that that's true. He says to her, don't just get a few. Don't just get three. Get a bunch. I'm here to tell you this morning you and I are not to limit God with our small expectations. The Bible talks in the book of Isaiah about how the nation of Israel limited their God. They limited the mighty one of Israel, the scripture says. God is so abundant, he's so amazing, he's so powerful, he's so mighty, he's so incredible, and, and literally all of that can stop short if our expectation stops short. Amen. Thank you. Do not limit God with a small expectation. Gather as many vessels as you can. Now, verse 4. We go on to verse 4. It says, When you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you with your sons and pour all of those vessels and set aside the full ones again. God always tells you what he wants you to do with what he provides. There's an amazing lesson in that. 
the abundance, the provision is about to happen in her life, and, and he tells her exactly what to do with it. God will always give you instruction for his provision. Now, verse 5, it goes on to talk about how she obeyed. She did exactly what she was told to do from the prophet. And now, verse 6, something amazing happens. Verse 6 says, Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. There is not another vessel and the oil stopped flowing. I want to submit to you this morning that the Bible does not make reference to this detail by accident. There is a principle right here. The only thing that caused the oil to stop flowing was that there was no more jars to hold it. You say, well, that's that's kind of weird, you know, I mean, that's like big deal, like big deal. Okay, she ran out of jars, big deal. No, there's a principle in this. If she'd have had five jars, God would have filled five jars. If she'd have had 25 jars, God would have filled 25 jars. If she'd have had 2,000 jars, God would have filled 2,000 jars. The miracle was defined by her expectation. That's what I'm trying to get you to see this morning is that the miracle was defined by what she expected. She got the jars that she thought she would need and God filled all of them to the full. In fact, God was so calculated that he knew what the last drop would be. He was, so, he was so calculated, he knew exactly how much she was going to need. This says that God is not wasteful, but neither is he stingy. Come on, God is not wasteful, but neither is he stingy. He knew exactly how much oil was going to be required so that when they got to the brim of the last jar, the oil just turned off. Wow. What does that tell you about our God? Tells you that he's not wasteful, but also tells you that he's not stingy. If you got another extra jars, get them out of the closet, baby. Dust those things off because the oil will keep flowing as long as you will keep expecting, as long as you and I will keep making a place for God, as long as we will keep making room for Him, He will keep filling every bit of ourselves that we make available for Him. So when you need a miracle, don't stop short. Don't expect less. Tell God exactly what you need. I need 25 jars of oil, not 24. And don't think God's going to get ticked off at you for being that way. He wants you to expect more of Him. You might think I'm crazy for saying this, but it's absolutely true. I am crazy. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's true. God is who He said He is. He's, you know, one of His Hebrew names is the name El Shaddai. And then where the name Al Shaddai in the Hebrew language means the God who's more than enough. So there's always provision available where provision is needed and expected. The word Shaddai actually, uh, it comes from the Hebrew word Shad, which is the Hebrew word for a nursing mother, for her breast. And so what's amazing is that when my wife and I had our kids, I learned something I learned, well, I learned a lot of things, but uh, I, learned, I learned one thing that sticks out in my mind right now. When we had kids, my, my wife would feed our girls, and when it came time for them to be weaned and move on to solid food, guess what happened to her milk production? 
It stopped. It stopped on its own. Why? Because the need wasn't there anymore. God supernaturally designed ladies' bodies to be able to start and stop when the need is present, when it comes to milk. It's amazing. I don't understand it. I'm not going to try. Quite frankly, it's a little weird, but it's, it's cool. It's cool. As soon as the need disappears, as soon as the expectation is gone, the supply stops. As soon as they got to the last jar of oil, there's no more oil left. Isn't that amazing? The only thing that caused the oil to stop flowing was that there were no more jars to hold it. He will accommodate. Listen to me. Please get this. We're talking about faith and expectation. He will accommodate exactly what we expect of him. And let me tell you something. He's looking for you and I to expect more. Amen. I got an amen and a couple babies agreeing with me on that one. God is always looking for you and me to expect more of him. He is a lim- an unlimited resource, and we live in a very limited world, and he wants to pour his unlimited resource into our lives. You need a healing? Believe for the whole thing. Believe for whatever issue that you got going on in your body, not to just get a little bit better, but Lord, I'm not believing you for my toe to be healed. Give me a new toe. Right? I just use toe. I don't know what you, you got pain in your body, whatever. But Lord, I'm not just believing you for a, a smidge of a miracle. I don't just need a dab of your anointing. Give me everything you got. Give me everything that I can handle. He's looking for us to expect more. The only limit that was placed on God's provision in this story was the limit of her expectation. Now, verse 7 is the closing verse. This to me is just the cherry on top. This is just amazing to me. I mean, the miracle happens from verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. This now is the long-term effect of the miracle. Watch this. God touched this lady's life once, and look at what it did for her. She came and told the man of God, verse 7, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, you and your sons, and live on the rest. Does that not blow your mind the way it blows my mind? God's touch on her life gave her something to sell, making her an economic blessing to her community. He gave her a business like that. This one miracle, this one touch gave her a business, gave her something to sell, making her an economic blessing in the community. Number two, God settled her debt, which brought an end to her lack. You want to know why God hates debt so much? It's because debt, is, uh, debt exposes lack, and God's not a God who's into lack. He's a God of too much. We just got done talking about that. He's El Shaddai. There is no lack in him. So he doesn't like debt because debt just makes it look like you don't have enough, right? So number one, he gives her something to sell, making her an economic blessing in the community. Number two, he settles her debt, which brought an end to her lack. Number three, he set her and her family up to be sustained for the long haul. You and your sons, after you're done paying your debt, after you get your olive oil business off the ground and you pay your debt, you and your sons, relax, live off the rest. Just live off the rest. 
Do you realize how substantial this miracle was for her? This is huge. God sets her up with a business. He pays off all of her debts just like that. And now he says, now you've got enough for you and your sons to live a happy life. Enjoy it. The miracle God wants to do in you always has a ripple effect beyond you. What God starts in us is not designed to stop in us. <laughs> he totally turned this woman's life around in an instant. And the effectiveness of it all was connected to her expectation. What was she willing to expect of God? How many jars do you have, honey? You only got two jars? Go find some friends. Go get around some people that'll get in the ditch with you in the tough, tough situation. Go find some people that are willing to let you borrow their jars. Get as many of them as you can. I, I wrote three questions down. What if she had not inquired of Elisha? What if she had not inquired of Elisha? Bible says she went to him and she found him. What if she hadn't done that? Think she'd have gotten a miracle? I don't. How about this one? This will really, this will really get you. What if she hadn't taken his advice? <laughs> See, some of us get lost in question number one. We don't come to church when things get bad. We stay home and try to fix it all ourselves. And how many of you know that doesn't work? God designed this place, not just this church, but God designed church to be a place where we come together and get fed and get poured into and have community and build relationships and lean on each other. It's better when you're here than it is when you're not. Yeah, amen. I'll say amen to my own preaching on that one. It's better here than it is when you're not here. So most of us can't get past question number one, but if you should get past question number one, let's say you do come to church, and let's say that you're dealing with an issue, and Pastor Josh tells you exactly what to do about how to fix that issue, what happens if you don't take his advice? What if she had not taken Elisha's advice? What, are you crazy? Prophet, you want me to go, you want me to pour my oil into a bunch of jars? I've only got one jar of oil. Getting a bunch of other vessels, that would be hard. I'm, I don't want to talk to my neighbors. I, I'm already, you know, Sandy down the street, she and I already don't talk. <laughs> right, right. I'm already ticked at Leon. His dogs keep pooping in my yard. I don't want to go talk to that guy. What if she hadn't taken his advice? She wouldn't have got the miracle. What if she'd only got two jars? What if she hadn't expected a lot of God? What if she had limited the Holy One of Israel? I don't know about you, but when it comes time to get my needs met, when it comes time to get my prayers answered, I don't want to be, I don't want, the, I don't want it to be the reason that I didn't get what God had for me. I don't want to be my own worst enemy, Right? Anybody not want to be your own worst enemy? When it comes time to getting your prayers answered and getting your needs met, get out of the way. 
find the man of God and find out what you're supposed to do and then do what he tells you to do and then go big, man. If you're going to succeed, succeed big. If you're going to fail, fail big. <laughs> Whatever you do for Jesus, do it big. Amen? Don't do it halfway. Go for broke. You see, that's what real faith is. That's what real expectation is. And, you know, as we get ready to come into this Hope and Healing Conference just in just a few days, I so desire for our hearts to be so expectant and so stirred up with what God wants to do. Because I do believe He's a good God. I do believe that He'll meet you right where you're at. I do believe He'll show you exactly how to get out of the situation that you're in. And if you're facing some kind of serious uphill climb, I believe God's willing to be with you every step of the way. He's willing to make a way where there is no way. The Bible says that He makes a way in the wilderness. And I I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what the challenges are of your life, but I know know who can make the difference. I know who can change and turn your life around. You may be somebody that's struggling just to try to find enough faith to believe in God, and I'm here to tell you that if you'll just have faith like the grain of a mustard seed and you'll expect big of God, He'll show up in your life. And he'll change you. Amen. I so believe in the goodness of God. I so believe in his loving kindness. I so believe that he has enough power to change your situation. Some of you are facing terrible odds. Doesn't matter. God's the God who fixes the odds. He fixes the deck. He set, he, it's a, did you ever hear the statement, it's a fixed fight? Did you ever, you know what that means for a fight to be fixed? Listen, when, when God's working with you, it's a fixed fight, man. There's no question as, as to who's going to come out on top. That's why the writer says, if God be for me, who can be against me? Who? I want us to stand up to our feet and bow our heads and close our eyes. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you. We love you, and your life counts.